0: And if you have a Bible, please open with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and we'll be in the fifth chapter this morning. It's a little bit hard to believe for me that we have come to the fifth and final chapter of this epistle. The time we have spent in this letter has, for me, flown by. Um, it'll be bittersweet in a way to leave this letter as it has been a dear friend and companion In a time of great trial, but um, it's what God's Word does for us, isn't it? it? It holds us, it strengthens us, it is an anchor to us. And while we will soon, in the Lord's will and providence, move on from this letter, surely He has more truth to reveal to us in the broader scope of His Word and in this passage that we'll look at today. So 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. First Peter 5 verses 1 through 4, and we want to talk about the idea of shepherding a suffering people, shepherding a suffering people. As we've seen throughout Peter's letter, he often takes time to address very specific issues with a very specific audience. You think back to chapter 2 and into chapter 3, he addressed uh, people living under a harsh government, a very specific topic for a very specific people. He talked about slaves under a harsh master. He has written about wives and how they are to submit to their husbands and to adorn themselves in modesty. Peter has addressed husbands and that they are to live in an understanding way with their wives, to love her and to cherish her as Christ loves and cherishes the church. And so today we come to another very specific, a very pointed instruction from Peter to the elders of the church and I look around I see a room that is littered with women and we understand that every woman in here could never be an elder of a local church. So I understand right off the bat that half of you listening to this say how does this apply to me? And I want before you even think that to understand that God's word applies to all of us There is much to be seen, there are duties that flow out to the church as Peter gives exhortation and and encouragement to the elders of the church. So so you guys stay with me and we'll try to broaden this out at times to to see how it applies to the church at large while also not losing the context and the original content, the original intent of Peter. So we want to make it pointed, but we also want to be broad in, in our study of God's Word. Today, So let's read our passage and then we need to ask for the Lord's help and his blessing as we study the word and then we'll dive in. So if you're able, please stand with me as we give attention to the reading of Holy Scripture. This is 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. This is God's word, holy, inerrant, and inspired. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness." nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. You may be seated. Now join with me and let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you on this day, Lord, rejoicing. All hail the power of Jesus' name, the one before whom angels fall in worship and praise, the one who is given the name above every name. What a glorious Savior. God, you are creator, sustainer, of all things you are the author and perfecter of all saving faith you are the god who was who is and who always will be you're the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last lord your name is worthy to be praised What glorious hope you give us god in the gospel that we who are sinners we who were far off we who were your enemies can be made to be your friends not by any merit of our own but by coming to you washed in the blood of christ what a wondrous mystery that the king of kings would lay aside his glory and come to the world that he created to seek and save that which was lost. What a glorious mystery, revealed and made known in Christ. Lord, as we come to our time under the teaching and preaching of your word, we pray that your word would move in your people and power. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and enlighten and illuminate every heart. Lord, I pray that we would have attentive minds and humble hearts that are ready to receive and apply the truth. There are so many distractions that go on from day to day and week to week in our lives. But Lord, would you help us? Would you help us in this short period in this short time to give the attention to your word that we ought to give. Lord, I ask for your grace as I proclaim your word, Lord, for it's not my words that need to be proclaimed, but the glorious truth that you reveal to us. Lord, would you teach each and every one of us. Would you show us Christ? Would you lift our gaze from the troubles of the present and fix them upon the glory of the future, the future that is glorious because the Savior of that future is himself glorious. Lord, give us humble hearts. Plow up the heart in the stony ground. Help us, Lord, to receive and apply the truth. Help us to be transformed. Help us to be conformed to the image of Christ, to lay aside the flesh and to walk in the Spirit. Lord, would you glorify yourself among your people today? we ask and we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So out of all of Peter's exhortations in this letter, I get the impression that this may be the most personal. He he gives examples of himself. He identifies himself so plainly with his readers here. He witnesses, he references back to his witnessing of the suffering of Christ, a time that you know was was formative, surely, but traumatic in the life of Peter as he looked back on that remembering of his denial of Christ. So this is a personal, personal exhortation. This is also really the beginning of his main short summary, and if you've listened to me preach for any period of time, you know that summaries can sometimes broaden out. There can be a lot there. And there's a lot in Peter's summary, but one thing that he includes that we understand is he includes this exhortation to the shepherds, to the elders, to the pastors of the church. And I think what we can draw from that is that the work of eldering and pastoring and shepherding a people who is suffering is so critically important. If the church is to suffer well And dear church, if you're not suffering, you will suffer. We've seen that throughout this letter. For the church to suffer well, they need to be pastored well. They need shepherds to care well for their souls. They need to be fed and led and guarded and protected. We need to be fed and led and guarded and protected by the shepherds of our souls If you are to suffer well, you must be under the proper care of a local church. The local church is designed by God to build his people up to be a source of strength and a means of grace to God's people as they walk the course of this life. The Lord uses the church to prepare his people for whatever is to come. So knowing that suffering is already taking place in these people, knowing that more suffering is to come, Peter then, as he starts to draw to a close, he has this instruction to give to the elders of the church. And his primary command is clear. These elders must eagerly shepherd the flock of God, those who are purchased by Christ. They're to serve as under-shepherds of Christ by pointing the people to Christ. They are to do so with joyful humility, knowing that their service is to Christ and Christ alone. Elders care for people who are purchased by Christ. Peter says, shepherd them well, shepherd them eagerly, shepherd them with joy, and shepherd them with humility. Church has a response to this. So, so let's, let's kind of paint this overall picture before we dive into the text so your minds can be churning on this as we go along. We have that command to the elders. What is the church's response? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So we submit and obey so our leaders, our elders, our shepherds can shepherd us with joy. And I'm going to use the word we and us because elders are in submission to one another. There there is no hierarchy where an elder is above the church. We are members of the local church, so there's going to be a lot of we and a lot of us, and I do that and say that intentionally. So we are to submit and to obey our leaders. Not only that, but we are to hold our leaders accountable to the standards shown in Scripture. We are accountable to the exact word of God and how we shepherd, and we should hold our leaders accountable to these truths. That is a duty of the church. Okay, so in response to this, that is one outworking duty is you hear all these things and then you, you press those that the Lord has entrusted with the care of your soul. You press them to do these things as the Lord has said. In, in one of the verses here, Peter says that the elders are to be an example to the flock. So think about that for just a moment. To be an example means necessarily that you're looking at something for the sake of following that example. So... Many of the things that the Lord instructs to those that he calls to church leadership are not commands or instructions that are given that only apply to them, but they are to be lived out as examples before the flock. So a lot of these things, like when we talk about humility in a moment, these things apply to every single one of us, no matter your service, no matter your position within the church. So that's kind of the broad disclaimer. So now let's zone in on the text. We'll begin at verses 1 and the first part of verse 2 and look at <clears throat> look at the exhortation. Hmm. Excuse me, we brought a cold home from Disney World last week and obviously still fighting that a little bit. So let's try that again. Verses 1 and 2. We want to consider the exhortation from a faithful shepherd peter's exhortation as a faithful shepherd he says therefore i exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock of god among you so you begin the first thing that we draw out from this is that peter shows remarkable humility in his writing. He writes, he describes himself as a fellow elder, a fellow worker, a fellow laborer. He could have said, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was an apostle. He was in the inner circle of Christ. He received a commissioning directly from Christ into gospel ministry. Peter could have said, I exhort you as an apostle of Christ, but he doesn't because Peter is marked by humility. When the Lord uses people in ministry like he used Peter, he breaks them so thoroughly. Listen to that. When the Lord uses people in the proclamation of the gospel, and that should be a goal and desire of every follower of Christ, he first breaks them tremendously. He humbles them Peter writes as a fellow elder, is remarkable, remarkable humility. So let's kind of look. We want to see his heart behind the exhortation. We'll get to the exhortation in verse 2 in a few moments. But let's just look at his heart in this, kind so of understand what, what is driving the exhortation that he's going to give. Again, he begins by saying, that he is a fellow elder, a soon presbyteros. We know the term presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian. It means elder. It can literally speak of someone who is older in age, but it can also speak of one who holds an office or a title or rank. And so when we talk about an elder in the local church, it's someone who holds the office of elder, a pastor, or a shepherd. And so Peter says, I'm your fellow elder. And what he's not saying is, hey, we're all kind of elders together in in this region of churches. That's what Presbyterians do. And it's really not the, it doesn't really line up with the biblical model where they'll have this kind of board of elders that oversees a region of churches. That's not what Peter's saying here. What he's saying is, is, I'm your brother along your side of you in this fight. I'm with you in battle. I face the same struggles. I know the discouragements. I know the challenges. I know the joys. I know the triumphs and the victories. I'm right here alongside of you, and now I'm going to give you an exhortation as one who has walked a mile in your shoes. Again, back to that idea of remarkable humility. I think this is a reminder for all of us that pride has no place in the life of the local church. Pride has no place in the life of a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it has no place in the life of the ministry of the church broadly. For we are all one. We are working and walking together alongside of one another, trying to pull the rope, trying to push the boat in the same direction. Pride works against all of that. Pride is destructive to pastoral ministry, surely, but pride is destructive in every single follower of Christ. Pride has no place in our lives. We must seek to be humble. How do you do that? You ask the Lord to humble you And then when he humbles you, you respond in humility because the Lord will work to humble his people. So Peter says, I'm your fellow elder. He says, I'm also a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. A fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. Friends, this is why we do everything we do. If it weren't for the sufferings of Christ, The call and the cost of pastoral ministry, the call and the cost of life as a follower of Christ would be worthless. It would not measure up because if we aren't witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, if Christ didn't suffer, then what are we doing? What are we after? What are we proclaiming? Who are we proclaiming? Peter says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And friends, we are witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, most surely because we read of them and we know of them. But again, think about Peter here. He is not just one that knows of those sufferings. He's one who watched them. He saw them. He knew them firsthand. He was a witness of this, and so he knows the cost. Peter had counted the cost of discipleship. Peter had looked at the cost of that discipleship, and made the decision daily to die to himself and take up his cross and follow Christ. We as believers are witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, and to be witnesses, we must count the cost. The cost can be extreme because the Lord requires us to lay down our lives for his sake. He may not require your physical life of you, but he requires you to hold everything with open hands for him to do with and to use as he pleases. So Peter is a fellow elder in his writing, but he is exemplary as an elder. He's exemplary as a saint because he's witnessed the sufferings of Christ and he lived a life that showed that he counted that cost, a- and as he weighed the cost of following Christ versus the cost of eternity in hell, it was no contest. He said, I'm taking up my cross, literally in Peter's case, as he was die a martyr, crucified upside down. He said, I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following Christ. Dear friend, do you count the cost Do you count the cost? Do you pick up your cross and follow Christ? I can't answer that question for you. That's a question for you to get alone with the Lord and and consider. What cost is too much? When might you bow out and say, Lord, it's too much. I've counted the cost and and I'm not following any further. I can't follow any further. Count the cost lay down your life and follow Christ because his grace is sufficient, his power is perfected in weakness, his faithfulness endures forever, and his mercies are new every morning. So Peter's a fellow elder. He's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And we say, why does he give himself to this humble service because he says at the end of verse 1, I am also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He's a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Dear friend, this applies to every saint. This is not only a joyful implication for elders, we are all, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a partaker of of the glory of Christ that is to come. Think back to chapter 4, verse 13, the last passage that we studied. You'll have to think back a few weeks. Peter wrote there, But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. So what's the path here? Peter says, I've witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I'm a fellow partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Previously, he said, as you share to the degree that you share, that much more you will rejoice with exultation at the coming of Christ. The path to rejoicing at the glory of Christ is the path and the road of suffering. The path to knowing the glory of Christ is the road of of humility through trial and difficulty and persecution and hardship. So really, Peter is saying the same thing here that he did back in chapter 4. You're united with Christ. You have a share in his suffering, but that share in his suffering, as Paul would say, is so light is so minuscule, is so fleeting, is so passing when you compare it to the glory that is to come. The Lord has a great glory in store for His people. Take heart, chase after that glory because the world may crumble around you, but the glory of God endures forever. There's just this great humility as we consider Peter's writing. There's this, this personal nature of his writing and his encouragements and his exhortations. And friends, we need, we need to latch on to that. There's one thing that I, I hope that you see, I hope that you get, is this personal, relatable, relational nature of how Peter exhorts, how Peter exhorts encourages the focus is not on himself but he draws himself and his experience in to point to christ you notice how in this whole verse one he has referred to himself multiple times but we don't walk away thinking about peter we walk away thinking about christ speak to one another in such a way that when somebody walks away from you they've seen Christ. That might be through you sharing a story of a hardship or a trial, but you better not be the end of that story. Christ and the glory of God and the grace of God that we know in those difficult times should be the end of that story. Make much of Christ. Now, so what does Peter exhort? That's his heart in the exhortation. But what does he exhort? Notice that he does say that this exhortation is to the elders among you. I exhort the elders among you now. This is not in any way complete defense of the, the doctrine and the idea of plurality of elders, but I think you see that through this text. The, the term presbyteros is almost always used in the plural form because the Lord's idea for the office of elder, pastor, shepherd, whatever term you want to use, is that it be a plurality. It be a group of men because the calling that the Lord is going to give, as we'll see in verses 2 and 3, are too steep for one man to do and to go at alone. You just think about verse 3 where it says, you are not yet to be lording it over those allotted to your charge. If you are a lone man overseeing a a group of Christians, a group of Christ people, the greatest thing that you're going to be tempted to do is to rule with this authoritative dictatorship type of leadership. That's why we need a plurality of godly men leading and shepherding together. We'll come back to that some later on as we look at verses 2 and 3. But what does Peter say at the beginning of verse 2? He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. So this is the what and the who in his exhortation. The charge is to shepherd the the who is the flock of God among you. So think about Peter. We've already referenced that that time in John chapter 21 where Jesus recommissioned him into ministry. But what did Jesus say? When we think about the idea of shepherding, Mm we can understand exactly what Jesus intended for Peter to do and what Jesus told him. It's amazing when you take Scripture at what it says at face value, you can understand exactly what the Lord intends. In John 21, Jesus told Peter, Tend my lambs. And he said, Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. Three times. That's what Jesus said. The the word ten could also be translated as feed. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. What do you think Jesus intended Peter to do as a shepherd? Feed the flock of God. Not physical food, but spiritual nourishment on the word of God. MacArthur has this to say about shepherding. He said, while it includes the positive elements of spiritual leadership toward maturity and Christ-likeness, it includes spiritual guardianship to protect the flock, the chief objective of shepherding is the feeding of the flock through the skillful preaching and teaching of divine revelation. And this is the source of all those other positive elements. End quote. The duty of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. To feed the sheep by putting before the sheep the divine revelation of God's word. That is the what. When when Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you, he means to shepherd by feeding. Shepherding the sheep finds its most basic root in the preaching and teaching of God's word. Likewise, being a good church member finds its root in being consistently nourished by the Word. And let me tell you, for both of those commands, both sides of that coin, it's not sufficient to rely only on 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. It means day to day, week to week, month to month, year by year, we are to be nourished on the Word of God, both in individual settings and in corporate settings, from house to house, And as we gather as a church body, the elders of the church are to teach and preach and proclaim the word, and the people are to feast upon the word, both as we're gathered and when you go to your homes, when you go about your day, at all times, we're to be nourished on the word. So that's the what. What about the who? Shepherd the flock of God among you. Two very important but very quick notes there. It's the flock of God. It's not the flock of the elders because the elders are under shepherds to the chief shepherd. Jesus bought the church with his blood and we, the church, are his sheep. The sheep of his pasture, the people of his hand. We are keepers. Elders are keepers of a flock, of a people who belongs to another. You do not belong to your elders, and your elders should not take ownership of you. But notice that Peter also says that this is God's flock, and it's God's flock that is among you. So let's make this real plain and clear. A a faithful elder should shepherd an elder, the flock of God who is among them, the flock of God among whom they are. Faithful elders don't shepherd other people, other elders' flocks, because God calls us to a local church. All the authority that the Lord gives is to the church through the word. So that is where the shepherding, that is how the shepherding is done a shepherd should be loyal to the sheep that are among him he should not be chasing after sheep that belong that are entrusted to another shepherd shepherd the flock of god among you so that is the exhortation of a faithful elder, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then Peter then goes in in verses two and three and gives us an explanation of a faithful shepherd, an example of a faithful shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge but proving to be examples to the flock. So we've seen the charge and now the how-to to this charge. And again, stay with me. Stay with me, please, because this is entrusted, commanded to the elders, and it's the church's duty to come alongside those that are raised up in the church and see to it that those elders are sticking to these commands. So it's kind of a compare and contrast here that Peter gives. He, he says, do this, don't do this, a positive and a negative. He begins by saying that you are to be exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. So exercising oversight is, is the first term here to think about. It means to look after something, to to care for something, to care for a person Or thing. And so, what we can pull out of this is that a faithful shepherd cares for the local church by overseeing the lives of the people. Okay, that's not a a well received thing in our day. Faithful elders care for the local church by overseeing the lives of the flock that makes up the church. Matthew Henry would say that it is personal care and vigilance over the flock committed to their charge. Personal care and vigilance over the flock that the Lord has committed to the elder. MacArthur would say that we watch over the flock to assess their condition so as to lead and guard and feed them. How can you lead and guard and feed that who you do not watch over, that whom you, those whom you do not oversee, those whom you do not no, now this doesn't mean that an elder needs to know or even should know every detail, every, every bit of minutia of your day-to-day life. But what it does mean is that there's personal care from faithful elders. Okay, so, so that's, a, that's a two-way street for us as a church. The elders should be investing themselves personally in the people, And the people should be receptive of that investment. Okay, so it's a two-way street. There's duties on both sides of that for for both groups of people. The shepherd must see to the fact that the sheep live properly. And again, remember, a shepherd is also a sheep. So a shepherd must also live properly and be under the care of of another elder, another shepherd, another pastor. So it's careful oversight. It's caring inspection. It's a careful inspection with a proper type of correction. You don't just go and see that there's a problem, but you correct the problem. You correct the problem not with your own opinion, but with the truth of the Word of God. So elders are to exercise oversight Peter says that this is not to be done under compulsion, but voluntarily and according to the will of God. It's to be done willfully, eagerly is a term that Peter, Peter will use in a minute. It's not to be something that an elder is forced to do. So hear this very clearly. It's of zero value to the Lord and to the Lord's people for an elder to be forced to serve, for an elder to be pushed under compulsion to serve and to lead the the Lord's people. That is not God's design. The Lord calls people who want to serve joyfully and willingly and who desire to invest in God's people. And I would go as far as to say that an elder who has to be pressed and pushed constantly into service needs to examine whether or not he's called into pastoral ministry. Because the Lord's requirement is clear. It is to be voluntary. It is not to be under compulsion. It is to be, as Peter would then say, according to the will of God. According, literally, according to God. This is really the, the most important aspect. The most important thing that Peter says here. It might be something that we'd skip past. But the oversight of the elders is to be according to God. It is to be in submission to God's word. It is to be done exactly as God says, exactly as the Lord outlines and commands, exactly as Jesus exemplified in his 33 years on earth. That is how a shepherd should shepherd the sheep of Christ. Men can become so conceited, so puffed up, so full of themselves, but Peter says, Exercise oversight according to the will of God. Submit to the Scriptures. So there's another comparing and contrast. After that, he says, and this is not to be for sordid gain, but, here's that term, with eagerness. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Sordid gain is just that idea of being greedy. It's that sordid vain, fleshly desire, uh, specifically maybe for wealth, but we can broaden it out to understand that that's desire for power, for authority, for influence. Peter says, the, those who shepherd the flock of God must have zero desire for selfish, sordid gain, for vain authority, for vain fleshly influence. Few things will destroy a person or a church more than one who leads that desires to earn and, and gain a great following or to amass for himself a, a great amount of wealth or power or authority. That is destructive to the person. It's also destructive to the church. Now, the Lord will build and sustain his church, but make no mistake, if, if someone who takes upon themselves this, this office is eager for gain rather than eager to shepherd, it will be to the detriment of the flock. So what's the opposite of this? It's that Peter says you should serve with eagerness, readiness, willingness. We can draw from this, and I want to make make a point here very clear, we should draw from this that to lead God's people is a blessing. It's an honor. It's a privilege. If an elder, a shepherd, a pastor sees the call of God as a burden, again, we go back to what I said a moment ago. They need to re examine the call upon their lives. Now, it's a weighty calling. You will walk through difficult circumstances if the Lord ever calls you to to this office and to this work, but it's never, never a burden. Think about life as a parent. There, there's kind of a similar a similar tie-in there. There there are times as a parent where your duty to your children is going to be difficult. It's going to be weighty. It's going to keep you up at night. But your children are not a burden. They're a gift from God. So too is the calling to lead God's people a gift, an honor, a blessing. And so, church, here's where you can come into this. You need to hold your leadership. You need to hold your elders accountable to this. If you hear or witness an elder that, that gives the impression that serving and leading the church is a burden, that's probably a time for some proper type of correction or exhortation or potentially just an encouragement. Again, these tasks can be weighty and difficult. So don't just run straight to a correction. Maybe maybe an encouragement will go a long way. But this is a duty of the church. We are a church together, and so you are to hold your leaders accountable to serve in this way, to serve with joy and with eagerness and not for sordid gain. But broaden that out. This applies to all of us. You serve the Lord in whatever capacity you serve in the church, not for gain not for authority, not to win or earn some kind of influence. You do it because you want to serve God and his people. You do it with joy. You do it with eagerness. This should be the direction of all of our hearts. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter said, As each one has received a special gift, we are to employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serve as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Serve with joy. Peter then says, moving to verse 3, that the elder is not also to lord over his authority, his charge, his leadership over the flock, but he's to be an example to the flock, to be examples to the flock. To lord something over someone ultimately means to bring somebody into submission or subjection to an idea, to your own power and to your own authority. And that then comes back to the basic root idea of what is a shepherd? What is an elder? He is a servant of Christ. There is no authority that is vested in a person. There's really not even authority vested in an office. There's authority and power vested in the work of that office, the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. So we don't compel people to do what we say. We encourage and compel people to do what God's Word says. So what's the flip of that? He says, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. The the opposite of this type of dictatorship in the leaders is one who lives an exemplary life. Be examples. Church, be an example for your fellow saints. The elders are not the only ones called to be an example. We're all called to live exemplary lives if we're going to properly live together as followers of Christ, we are going to have to correct one another. There are going to be instances of sin that need to be corrected. But Peter reminds us, don't do that correcting before you're living an exemplary life. Don't go beat somebody over the head with rules and commands and your own perceived godliness, but rather show them an example. Show them how to live call out to them follow me as i follow christ not just follow me not just go do this thing but follow christ follow christ so we'll come to verse four in just a moment but i just want to kind of pull back out and kind of reset here a little bit before we go to verse four uh, as the church, and again, we're back to the we's and the uses here. As the church, our duties when, when our elders lead us in this way, our duties are obedience and submission. Uh, our duties are accountability and submission. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Don't live in such a way where the leadership that those that the Lord has called to lead this church that that leadership is a burden that causes them to groan, but live in such a way that they are able to lead with joy. How would you hold, again, we go back to the idea that we should hold our leaders accountable. How would you hold someone accountable when you are the very reason for the struggles that they face? You know, in Ephesians 6, Paul tells fathers, don't provoke your children, if you're a parent, you likely probably have provoked a child before, and then they act out in anger, and then you have to ask the question and understand, how do I properly punish my child when I cause their, their sinful response? Now, I'm not saying don't punish there, but you do have to understand, I provoked, they acted wrong, so in a way, I deserve that punishment. So, so too is it within the church, that we must examine ourselves to make sure that we are not a reason for groaning or hardship or a burden to those who lead. And Dear church, let me tell you, you're not a burden. It is a joy and a privilege to to be able to serve and lead the flock of God. It is really one of the greatest privileges a man can can have, to be called to serve the Lord's church in this type of capacity. So may we live in such a way that we we strive to be as godly and as humble and as teachable as possible because that is what the Lord requires of the church in response to biblical leadership. We must be teachable. We must hear and receive and apply the word must live in submission to it. We must seek to grow in the word. If you grow, you bring such a great joy to those that the Lord calls to lead you. And that's what John wrote, wrote, isn't it? In 3 John, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Walk in the truth, bring joy, and then hold your leaders accountable. This is the Lord's will and design for the church. So now let's come to verse four. We, we've seen the exhortation, we've seen the explanation, and now let's look at the encouragement of a faithful shepherd. The encouragement that Peter gives to a faithful shepherd. Verse four it says, "When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, unfading crown." Of glory. So why do shepherds serve with eagerness, voluntarily, and with joy? Well, firstly, because it is a privilege. I've said that uh, several times. It is a privilege. But also, uh, a shepherd does his work with joy and eagerness because there awaits for him an unfading crown of glory for that service. But broaden that out because it's not just a shepherd who receives the unfading crown. It is every follower of Christ. We are all called to walk with Christ, and one day when we see him face to face, we receive a crown of glory. MacArthur tells us that the full expression Of a shepherd's eternal glorious crown will be in proportion to his faithful service on earth. That applies to every Christian. The proportion, the full proportion of your reward and glory is proportional to your faithful service in this life. Serve the Lord eagerly, serve him with faithfulness, serve him earnestly and with devotion. And remember, this is a glorious crown, but it's also an unfading crown. It's an unfading crown. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 that we obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away that is reserved in heaven for you. That's what awaits in glory, an inheritance, a reward that cannot be taken away that will not fade, that will not turn, it will not tarnish, it cannot be destroyed, it cannot be defiled. It is an unfading crown. So we'd run after that prize. We, we read it earlier, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race not all win? Only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And then when they do it, they receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable, we strive after that which is imperishable. Do you pursue an eternal prize Do you pursue an eternal reward or do you pursue temporal, passing, fleeting pleasure? Do you pursue the reward that lasts for eternity or do you run after pleasure that is so fleeting that it'll be gone, that'll be burned up in an instant? This crown of righteousness is available, Paul says, to all who have loved the appearing of Christ. All who have loved the appearing of Christ. So we must pursue that. That is the prize that we pursue. Elders are to lead and to shepherd in this way, and there's this gentleness and this love and this humility in shepherding a suffering people. Remember, that's the context here, that Peter's writing to shepherds who are shepherding people who are going through tremendous trial, and he says you shepherd with eagerness, with willingness, voluntarily, with joy. You exercise oversight. You do the things that the Lord says you do, and then we as a church respond with joyful obedience and submission. We walk together. We go to war together. We fight battles together For we are one. We must live and walk in humility. The church is no place for pride. We must strive and we must labor. We we, we need to take care that we guard against this fake and false type of humility where we don't strive and labor and work. Because we do strive. We, We do labor. We do work. To live in a way that pleases Christ, but it's not us that work. It's the grace of God at work in us. We must live as those who are witnesses to the sufferings of Christ. Close at this idea. We live as those who are witnesses to the sufferings of Christ. And that means you count the cost, you've seen the cost, count that cost, and then you take up your cross and follow Christ. You die to yourself. You die to your flesh. You put away all that sinful, nasty, horrible pride. You walk in humility within the church of the living God. Serve him with eagerness. And walk with Christ daily. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We do that. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a day that will be. Let's pray.